Good morning, Chapel. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all sound good. I'm ready to preach the word this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to uh, talk for a few minutes this morning on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so a couple of years ago, uh, one of my daughters, which shall remain nameless because now they're old enough, they hate it when I use them as illustrations and sermons, which they don't understand. The only reason I had kids was to have sermon illustrations. And so they shall remain nameless. I came home and the house smelled like fresh baked brownies. I come in and this child that shall remain nameless. I said, Dad, you got to try these brownies. I made these brownies. They're amazing. Da, da, da. So I see the brownies. They look like brownies. They smell like brownies. She cut me one and I began to put it in my mouth and it tasted like anything but brownies. I mean, it was probably the worst tasting thing I'd ever put in my mouth ever. And so you're trying to be an encouraging parent where you're like, oh, yeah, it's good. At the same time, you're about to gag and die. So I'm like, oh, she's like, are they good? I was like, uh, no, and they're not. I said, what did you do? She's like, well, I didn't have butter. And I was like, so what did you do? So I use sour cream as a substitute. And I said, well, this ain't a baked potato. It's baked brownies. And so it was interesting because sometimes when you don't have all the ingredients, it may look the same, smell the same, but it won't be the same. And I think many times that we, we, in things like that, it may be edible, it may be, you can eat it, you can, smells like it, it looks like it, but it's just not it. And I believe for, for many of us, we, we live a Christian faith that we're weary, we're tired, we're worn out because we have a gospel that's incomplete. It, it may smell like the gospel, look like the gospel, sound like the gospel, but it's not quite the gospel, it's in. Complete. There's ingredients that are missing that make the gospel actually the gospel. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why for many of us we feel powerless over our, our, ourselves, over our circumstances, over our lives, over our thoughts, over our flesh. We feel powerless because we have a gospel that lacks power. And since we have a, a gospel that lacks power, we feel powerless. That's why fear and anxiety, all these things are cranking up. And there's no reason to feel powerless. Do you realize that the entire world is searching for power? Whether it's political power, whether it's supernatural power, whether it's you know, with New Age now with gemstones and crystals and, and all this stuff, or whether it's different religions, everybody's searching for power, yet Christians are living powerless and they're worn out and they're tired and they're weary, and there's no reason for a believer to ever feel powerless when Jesus promised us power. There's no reason. To ever feel like I'm powerless. Because he says, even in your weakness, he shall be made strong. And so power is a component of the gospel. But one of the issues, and this is a life verse for me, is this scripture right here. Jesus says in the scripture to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Touch your neighbor and say, you're wrong. If it's, not, if it's your spouse, don't you dare say that. But because you neither, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And, and I believe for many of us, we, we know the scriptures, but do you know the power? Right? Like he was talking to Pharisees who were, were moral people, who knew the word, who knew the law, that knew all these things, but they lacked the power. And so Jesus is saying there's these two ditches of our faith, that one is the ditch of the word and one is the ditch of the spirit, that you need both if you're going to go down the road and journey of faith. And for some of us who grew up in the Bible Belt, the word is the primary thing. You have all your different denominations, which almost spelled demon, but it's not demon, denom. 
that you know the words, you know the creeds, you know the scriptures, you know the, the morality, you know the, the governance, you know all these things, but the question is, do you know the power? Do you know the power of God? Because Jesus is literally, these words are in red. He's saying, that's great, but you're wrong because you don't know the power of God. And if there's anything we need, we have, A.W. Tozer said this, we don't need more revelation of Scripture. We have enough revelation. We need more application. And I love the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit's greatest gift to us as believers. But the Word is designed to be a platform or a conduit for the power of God to flow in and through our lives. And so I want to talk just for a little bit on the power of God. In Acts chapter 1, it says this. This is Jesus. is already been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he's about to ascend to heaven. So this is his last words to the disciples, his last words to the apostles, last words to his friends. After he just preached them for 40 days on the gospel of the kingdom, he says this, and while staying there with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I think one of the reasons we don't have the power of God is because we don't have the waiting of Jesus. Which he said, you heard from me from John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we already have two baptisms in scripture right there. A baptism of water and a baptism of the Spirit. Not many days from now. So he's given us a promise. He's about to ascend into heaven. He says, listen, I want you to wait and I don't want you to leave until you get this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And skip past six and seven, go to verse eight. He says, but you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is literally connecting the great commission that he gives to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and lo, I will be with you always. He's connecting that to power. Too many believers Try to live a Christian life with no power, and you're worn out, you're tired, you're beaten up, you're weary, and you're thinking, this faith thing doesn't work. And it doesn't work because you're eating brownies without butter, but with only sour cream. Like, it, it looks, but it doesn't taste like the promise. It doesn't taste like what Jesus told me I would receive. It doesn't taste like this promise that Jesus promised me, it's because we have an incomplete gospel. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, I believe that all the Christian men and women have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. He is not dwelling within them in power. In other words, God has a great many sons and daughters without power. We are not talking about salvation. We are talking about the power that should come along with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit does not have an attribute of power. Power is not a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Power is not an a, a attribute or a quality of the Holy Spirit. The power is part of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is power. It's who he is. And, and one of my great prayers, and y'all know this is the Word and Spirit guy. Like I, I know people from all different walks of life, and Baptists, and Church of Christ, and Methodist, and Episcopalian, and Catholic, and Reformed, and Presbyterian, all these things. And my prayer is that God will bring the best of both worlds, of the Pentecostals, Charismatics, Spirit-filled, together to see the greatest revival the world's ever seen. So what's that look like? I'm not a fisherman per se. But boating, you know, there's two types of boats you can get. You can get a boat with a motor on it called a power boat or a boat with a 
ores, which means you are the power. Right? I don't want to be the power. I want some gasoline to fuel whatever the power is. Right? I feel like you can compare that to the word people and the spirit people. The word people, they have the mission. Like you think about the, the Baptists, Southern Baptists, or the greatest evangelical missionary association ever on the face of planet Earth. By far. Most missionaries started as Baptists. Most evangelical outreaches started as Baptists. They are the greatest. They understand the whole go and fish mentality of the kingdom of heaven. But it's almost like they're in a rowboat and they're on Wilson Lake and they're just rowing from spot to spot. They're obeying the command. They're going to do it. They're carrying the word. They're obeying the word. They're out there rowing, but they're tired and they're weary, but they're fishing. And the Pentecostals, we don't have the fishing, but we, we'd like to stay in church all day, all day, 9 a.m., to 11 a.m. to 12 p.m., take a little break for lunch, come back at 2 p.m. We, we, we want to be in church because we, we don't want to go fishing, but we like the power. It's just like we have this amazing 250-horsepower Evinrood engine sitting in our garage. And every once in a while, we just invite the neighbors, oh, come check out what I've got in my garage. And you crank up that engine, it's it's powerful, it's loud, it's powerful, it's noisy, it's got all this power, and you just come over and y'all just watch it, watch it power up. That's what Pentecostals do. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but we don't leverage the power for what it was promised to do, which be a witness. And so we have charismatic churches, they just, you gather everybody on Sunday morning, our garage, we just power up the engine, and then we leave and we come back the next week and power. What if... We took the power of the Holy Spirit and connected it with the, the going fishing mentality or the witnessing mentality of the Baptist, and you take that 250-horsepower Evinrude and put it on the back of this little John boat the Baptists have, that thing's sitting up flat almost, and you can go fishing from spot to 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 spot. That was the promise Jesus gives in the Scripture. And some of you are worn out and tired. You've been obeying the word. You've been doing the word. You've been doing this, but you are tired. It's because you've been rowing your own faith. And you are not called or challenged or commanded to row your own faith. Jesus promised, as I ascend, the Holy Spirit will descend. And when he comes upon you, there will be power to live out your Christian faith and to walk in power and to live in power. And so we need the motor back. And so the question would be, if he's promised the power, then why do so many believers not have the power? And I'll tell you, it's because we have believed a gospel that's incomplete. You say, what are you saying? In the Bible, Belt, we're big on the gospel of forgiveness or the gospel of salvation. But Jesus did not preach the gospel of forgiveness. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Touch your neighbor and say kingdom. If you can find where he preached the gospel of forgiveness, let me know. But he preached the kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom is here. After he resurrected, he walked around the disciples. He preached for 40 days and 40 nights about the kingdom. Jesus was kingdom, 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 kingdom. And the difference is with the kingdom comes the power of the king. With forgiveness just comes the forgiveness of the king. You need the forgiveness and you need the power. And so the difference is this. When God created all of heaven and earth, he created it perfectly. In Eden, it was perfect. Adam and Eve were in the perfect presence of God. The power of God, the joy of God, the provision of God, everything. That was creation. When Adam and Eve decided to walk outside of God's authority, when they fell, they polluted God's kingdom here on earth. 
And the whole purpose of God, he wanted, he wanted Adam and Eve to populate the earth to make earth look like heaven. But now after the fall, now instead of the, the heaven influencing earth, now earth is influencing the kingdom. And so he sets this, this plan in place of redemption where he says this, this Messiah figure will come and stomp the head of the snake and, and redeem all things back. And so before he could get there, he sets up this prototype of the kingdom called his people called Israel. Where his people were set apart, they were, they were surrounding the presence of God, they had God's commands, God's power from time to time, God's miracles, God's hands, God's protection, God's deliverance, God's guidance, until he could bring his son. And when he brings his son, which we'll celebrate at Christmas, Jesus being incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, which is a key component, born of the Virgin, therefore he has no sin or no pollution from the world inside of him. He comes, he lives a perfect life for 33 years fulfilling over 300 prophecies of what the Messiah would be like, how he would teach, where he would live, how he would live, everything about him. And then he had a ministry for three years, and before he was betrayed, mocked, and killed to pay the price for our sins. Went into the grave for three days. On the third day, he resurrected and rose again and displayed that for 40 days and 40 nights to people preaching the kingdom where then he ascended into heaven to sit on the right side of the throne of God. And that's where most of us stop. That's where most of us stop. We stop we, at Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. But do you realize the resurrection was not the ending of the gospel? It was the beginning of the fulfillment of the gospel. Because at the resurrection, he says, okay, I'm resurrected. But now he says, I'm going to ascend into heaven. But I'm going to send my Holy Spirit down to be a foretaste of the glory of God and a foretaste of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to return again. See, the returning of Jesus is just as vital as the resurrection of Jesus. Because that's when he restores all things back to the Garden of Eden again. Our problem is if you stop at the cross, you get forgiveness, but you don't get the power and the promise of hope that's going to return with Jesus. And we believed it. And it's, it's true, but it's, it's not complete. And my desire for you is to have a, a gospel that is complete. Jesus will return and set up his kingdom on earth at some point. And when he does Revelation 21, it's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. There'll be no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more, no more sickness, no more disease, nothing. But it's all part of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. That even if you're going through something right now, you're suffering right now, it does not compare to the future glory that will be revealed. And so Jesus resurrects. He's about to ascend. He tells the disciples, I'm going to leave, but don't worry. It's going to be better because now the Holy Spirit's going to come. What does he mean? He means I'm, I'm restricted to my body. I can only be at one place at one time. I can be with these three disciples or these three disciples or these 100 people. But now when I leave, the Holy Spirit can come. He can be with all people. He can be with Christ Chapel on Sunday morning. He can be with Faith Church on Sunday morning. He can be with Underwood Baptist on Sunday morning. He can be with the church in Iran on Sunday morning, the church in Korea on Sunday morning. He can be at all. He's saying it's be better. It's to your advantage that I go so the Holy Spirit can come. Which tells me it's a pretty big deal if Jesus made this promise over and over and over again. But when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not the coming Spirit does not mean the completion of God's kingdom. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it wasn't the completion of the kingdom, but it was this. It was the beginning of God's kingdom here on earth again. He's the guarantee, the inauguration, and the initiator of God's kingdom here on earth. 
And that is what I want you. I, my, my life goal is to bring the word and spirit together, but also remove incomplete gospels so the full gospel can reign in love. Because I believe the full gospel produces everything your heart desires. The peace of God that you desire, the joy of God, the forgiveness, the redemption, the salvation, the purity, the holiness, the, the power, the promises, the hope, all those things you need, they're part of the God. That is the good news. The good news isn't just forgiveness. The good news is the kingdom is coming. And so what is the promise of the Holy Spirit? Here's a few. In Joel, it says the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, which means if you don't believe women can be in ministry, you have to be in ministry to prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit. So the Holy Spirit will be poured out. The Holy Spirit also seals us. Ephesians 1, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's the, he's the down payment of the kingdom until the whole kingdom comes through Jesus at the end of times. Holy Spirit will clothe us with power. He says, but wait, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit shall fill us. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled some translation, be continually filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit will flow through us. John 7, Jesus is talking to some Pharisees about the Holy Spirit. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not stale water, not pond water, not stanky water, living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, talk about the living water, whom those who believed in him were to receive but had not received yet, for as the Spirit had yet not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then also the Holy Spirit will baptize. Matthew three eleven. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Not the Holy Spirit and water, but the Holy Spirit and Fire. The key to all of those words, he will flow through you, he'll be poured out, he'll baptize you, he'll seal you. Those are all action words, not ceremonial words, not doctrinal words. They are action verbs that have something to do with an encounter of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit, though, that's where the power comes from. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, everybody has different meanings. Some people think that we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a, a denominational thing that, you know, charismatics believe in that. And these people don't. No, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is nothing more than the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that you have been filled to overflow by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. One person said this way, we were born of the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit. There is a distinct difference in the two. In the first, we received the Holy Spirit for salvation and in the latter, the baptism in the Holy Spirit's power for service. I Meaning there are two distinct things. You say, well, what's the difference? I thought there's just one baptism. No, the Bible talks of many baptisms. Over and over again, it talks about baptism. We talk about two, baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, the baptism of water. Hebrews 6, 12 says this in the King James Version. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, 
Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance and dead works and faith toward God or of the doctrine of baptisms. The Bible refers to the baptism of Noah, a baptism of Moses, a baptism of Joshua, a baptism of Jonah, a baptism of water, a baptism of the Spirit, a baptism of the blood. There's many baptisms because the word baptism is not a ceremonial word. Being in the Bible Belt, being in America, we look at most of Christianity as ceremonies to be followed rather than an experience to be lived. And the word baptism is not a noun referring to a, an indoctrinational service in a church. It is a, is a verb that means to submit something, submerge something, to immerse something, to saturate something in water. And so what that means is they would use the word to say, hey, I have a white shirt. I want it to be tie-dyed, which no one should ever want a tie-dyed shirt. I have a white shirt. It needs to be tie-dyed. They would baptize the shirt in the dye to come out a different color. In the same way, the word baptism is meaning to submerge something in something for it to come out different than it was when it went in. When you're baptized in water, you're immersed into water to come out a new creation in Christ. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you come out filled with the Holy Spirit. You're submerged in him. So you can say it this way. that In some scriptures, we say receive the Holy Spirit. It means to take hold of the Holy Spirit. Where baptism basically means for the Holy Spirit to take a hold of you. So you can say when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Let me get this one. Uh, Toy hates it when I use water illustrations, so here we go. If you are this glass, when you get saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, it means the Holy Spirit is in you now. You have the Holy Spirit. Every believer, no matter their denominational background, their doctrinal background, when you say yes to Jesus and you repent of your sin and confess that he is Lord, he forgives you and you become regenerated, born of the Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit inside of you. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, instead of you having the Holy Spirit, it's like you taking this glass down to the Tennessee River and throwing the glass into the river, you would say, now the water has you. The water carries you to where the water is going. The water carries you to the next destination. The water takes care of you. The water covers you. The water protects you. It is. So the difference between receiving the Holy Spirit is you carry the water. The difference in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the holy water carries you. That is the difference. And it's not a denominational issue. The only questions when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a matter of doctrine. It's a matter of timing and evidence. And what I've been seeing in the last few years is charismatics, Pentecostal, spirit-filled people pulling back from the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. And the word people, the Baptists, the Reformed, the Church of Christ, moving into the things of the Holy Spirit. You say, what does that mean? Well, for so long, spirit-filled Pentecostal people, they, they were trying to control a, a doctrine. And it's, the Holy Spirit's not a doctrine. He's a person. He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. He's God. And so you can't control the doctrine. And so we would try to say, well, you know, well, if you're really baptized in the Holy Spirit, then, then, then you, the evidence is speaking in tongues. Jesus never said that. Jesus said the evidence is you're a witness with power. Not tongues, not problems. He literally says it is the evidence is power to be a witness. Well, then you only get filled like this. So we try to control the timing of it. Some people believe you get filled as soon as you get saved, which I'm about to show you why that's not true. Some believe it's a second experience or a third experience. Some believe the evidence is tongues. Some believe the evidence is this. So the arguments has not been over the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's been over the timing and the evidence. And what I've seen now is since the word people are more open to the word, we see people like Max Lakato, who just two weeks ago said he was on a running, uh, jog, he'd been 
praying, God, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is real, if you would fill me. He's running and he's praying in tongues. Max Licato, praying in tongues. Some Southern Baptists, Matt Chandler, who's reformed in Southern Baptist, Robbie Galati at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, where the church is in complete revival. He didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. During COVID, he spent time praying. Pastor Anthony will tell you, he's in his, in his cohort with him, that he got filled with the Holy Spirit, started in prayer meetings, people at the prayer meetings in the Southern Baptist Church, laid out the altar on a Tuesday night, people getting baptized in prayer meeting, and God is moving. Why? It's not a doctrine. It's a promise. It's an encounter with the living God. Not just the God of the Bible, but the living, active presence of God here on earth. And so my prayer for you would be that you remove the doctrinal basis and you say, I need an encounter with the living, presence, active Holy Spirit in my life. And I'm going to show you why that's a secondary experience. And Joel 2, which you talked about, is a prophecy from the Old Testament talking about when Jesus comes and when he comes, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. He says, and it shall come to pass after I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh a couple thousand years before Jesus. Then in Matthew 3, John the Baptist prophesies, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then Jesus, let me get my little cheater pen, because that's my favorite toy in the world. Then Jesus, this is after he'd resurrected, before Acts chapter 1, before Acts chapter 2, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, as Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when you, he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So that's vitally important because when he breathed, that's the same breath that he breathed into Adam when he was in creation and breathed his spirit or his life into him. But this word receive is for you to take hold of the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. This is the salvation experience for the disciples who had followed Jesus. Now he's crucified. His blood's been poured out. Now they're following him. Now they receive the Holy Spirit. That is vital because every single believer, like I said a second ago, every believer, when you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus, in our key scripture, then he says to them, after they'd received the Holy Spirit, ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father to be baptized in the Holy Spirit many day, not many days from now. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled. Everybody say all. All filled. They, were, they had already received the Holy Spirit, but now they're all filled filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. You see in Acts chapter 19, Peter goes to preach, I think this is in Ephesus. He said, did you not receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I said, no, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Some denominations hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, in John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was coming after him, and just, uh, that was Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? So that's your water baptism, Lord Jesus, and when Paul then laid hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them or upon them, and they began speaking in other tongues and prophesying. Two distinct encounters and actions. Then Paul, after 
the apostles said this to the Ephesians, and do not get drunk with wine for there's debauchery and be filled or be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe there's one receiving the Holy Spirit and many infillings of the Holy Spirit. So if you have a Pentecostal background, AG background, you may think, you know, you get baptized with the Holy Spirit once. No, you need to continually be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit to walk in the power that was promised to you in and through him. Two distinct encounters. One's a salvation encounter. Another one's a power encounter. Two completely different concepts. So what are the, the benefits? Or the benefits of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And walk through these pretty quick. One is you're filled with God's love. Romans 5 says now we can love others because we've been filled with the love of God. John Wimber used to call it the, the baptism of love. Deepening your intimacy with God because now you're full of the presence of God. There's an intimacy, a hunger for God's word. You're filled with the joy of your salvation, a more powerful and intimate prayer life. And one of the most important to me, I think, is the assurance of salvation. My mentor, R.T. Kendall, he was... Um, Nazarene. So Nazarenes have a totally different doctrine. He never felt saved. He never felt like he was assured of his salvation. He's going to Trevecca Nazarene University. He's crying out to God. He got filled with the Holy Spirit in his car. And he said at that moment, he knew without a doubt he was saved. There's something about when God floods your heart with his presence, you know without a doubt, I'm a child of the Most High God. A desire for purity when the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you and you're full of him. It gives you a hunger for purity. You experience the power of God. You have deeper roots in the Spirit for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. You have the power to be a witness. And you have the fullness of Jesus in your life. But you also fulfill Christ's earthly ministry by being extensions of his presence. You're marked by his presence. Wherever you go, his presence goes with you. You become an expression of his character, his fruit. You become a de demonstration of his love and exhibits of his Power, the benefits I could list over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But I will tell you, me personally, and people I know that went from through his following Jesus to being filled with his spirit marked them for the rest of their entire lives. Marked the way they read the Bible, marked the way they pray, marked the way they love other people, marked the way they do ministry, marked everything about them because the Holy Spirit wants to give you greater power. Touch your neighbor and say greater power. You, you may not need greater power, but I got four teenagers. I need as much power as I can get. You may not be greater power. Maybe your life is easy. Maybe, you know, you got it made. Maybe you get up in the morning and, and just everything goes exactly right. Maybe you don't have any obstacles in your way. Maybe there's no mountains in your way. Maybe you don't need power, but I'm talking to the people that need more power. And not fleshly power, not, not just strength. I'm talking about spiritual power. Spiritual power to be who God has called you to be. Years ago, I heard this missionary tell this amazing story. He, he went to Africa, and when he got to Africa, there was a car that the mission organization had for him. When he got in the car, the car wouldn't start, and it was parked on this hill, and he had to get all these little students in Africa to help him push the car. Remember the old days popping the clutch? Oh, yeah, y'all too rich. I'm talking, about the, I'm, talking about the, I'm talking about the ghetto people. Everybody popped the clutch in here before. Oh, yeah. You push that thing and you hold that clutch down and somebody drops that clutch and people fall through the back windshield because they're, like he's having to push this thing off and pop in the clutch and it would start. He did that for years. He leaves after serving three years in this little African village. A new missionary comes. He gets in the car. The car won't start. All those students say, no, you got to push it. He said, hold on, hold on. You mean I got to push this car? Every day he said, yeah, we've been doing that for 10 years. 
He pops the hood. The battery terminal was loose. He puts the terminal back on, tightens it up, gets in the car, and starts the car. All the students are amazed because they've never seen it start like that. And he was like, these guys have been pushing this car for years. All they had to do was make sure the connection was correct. See, some of you have been pushing for way too long. Some of you pushing your faith, pushing your marriage, pushing your purity, pushing, you're trying to stay free from your addiction, trying to push this, trying to push that. You've been pushing, and you're mad at God because you're like, God, I gave you everything, this doesn't work. I am tired and I'm weary. And Jesus said, you shouldn't be weary and broken. My, my yoke is easy and light. And it's easy and light when you have the connection to heaven that you are called and promised to have. When that connection is connected, it gives you the power to walk the light. You cannot fulfill the commandments of God without the power of God. And so power is always associated with the Holy Spirit. It's not something he does. It's an attribute of who he is. If the Holy Spirit is there, there is power. And there's four times, you know, depending on your background, you think power, you think, you know, power for altar calls, you know, Benny Hinn type. But we're not talking Benny Hinn stuff. We ain't talking Benny Hinn. We're talking everyday walk with Jesus stuff. As Pentecostals, we think the Holy Spirit was given to have better church services. But the Holy Spirit was given so you have a better life. And power is the word dunamis, which we get the word dynamite from, which is not just the power to blow stuff up. There's four different meanings of the word power. One is strength. I mean, you have a spiritual strength to push something or move something out of your way. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the strength to move something that maybe you've been walking around for years. Maybe something you've been dealing with for years. Now you have the power to push through it or move over it. And I heard... I don't know if it's Jack Taylor or Charles Corrin. They talk about the story of Hercules. Hercules was punished by Zeus and the gods. And his punishment was to clean all the gods' horse stables in Olympia. And so his horse stables, millions and millions, especially infinite number of horse stables. So they knew he'd be there for the rest of eternity cleaning out these horses. Shoveling poop, shoveling hay. He was punished. That was his punishment. And Hercules, we know the, the mythology, Hercules is the strongest of all gods. And he goes over, and there was two rivers that, that went around these horse stables. And he picks up one and runs it right through the middle of the horse stables and lets it go into the other river. And in one moment, as the water began to rush through those horse stables, every single stall was cleaned completely. In the same way, many times you've been trying to clean stuff up on your own, move stuff on your own, but when the Holy Spirit comes, it's like he, he just converges his power or his flow into your life and cleans out stuff that you've been shoveling for way too many years. Strength, endurance is the ability to endure something for a certain amount of time. You see this with the apostles that many times we think of power as power lifting. To me, the older I get, the more powerful somebody is, is those little stupid marathon runners. I just think, man, look at this skinny little, you know, Ethiopian God, he's sprinting for 26.2 miles. That's power. Right? And sometimes you don't, need, you don't need power just to push through something. Sometimes you need power to endure something. To endure temptation. To endure a dry season. To endure a difficult moment. To endure a time in your marriage. To endure a time in your family. Sometimes it's endurance. Another one is influence, which is the ability to influence something or someone. 
So the power of the Holy Spirit, you have power to influence people. That's where the witnessing comes in. You grow an influence in your neighborhood, in your home, in your marriage, at your school, at your work. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power to influence. You see this of Paul, who once he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes before Caesars, before Herod, before the Pharisees. He, God uses him to grow in influence. But the last one is energy. Power also has the ability to supply energy to something. And I believe in the days that we're coming in the church that we need energy and we need endurance. Because it seems like the world has a greater energy for false gospels and false gods than the church does for the real, true, living God. And I think we need the endurance to endure. We were, we were talking about some things at elders meeting yesterday where, you know, the more culture changes, the more strange we get. Like, oh, you believe in marriage between one man and one woman. You are so weird. Oh, you believe a, a mom and dad in the household is good for the kids. You're so old-fashioned. Oh, you believe. We become more and more weird. So it means you have to endure greater temptations and greater persecution as the world begins to escalate in the perversions. And we need energy to endure that. And so how can I receive or how can the Holy Spirit, as R.A. Torrey said, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? I don't, he, he's not withholding anything from me. He's not, it's not like God is saying, well, I want them to have the power, but you know, I, I'm just going to give them a drip of the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit, it, it, he's a person. Like I can't show up to my kid's ball game and just send my hand or send a leg or send a foot. If I show up, all of me shows up. With the Holy Spirit, when he shows up, when he comes into your life, all of him shows up. And so it's not a question of more of him. It's how can I give him more of me? I've learned, and hopefully you've learned, that any time that God is not working the way you want him to work, the problem is never on God's side of the equation. It's always on my side of the equation. It's probably because I have too many plus marks next to my stuff and not enough minus marks on my stuff. And so how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? Some of the things I see that keep us from receiving the Holy Spirit is ignorance. If, if you don't know, just like we said in Acts 19, if you don't know of the Holy Spirit or know the power, you can't receive a promise you don't know about. Religious tradition can be an obstacle. If you've been brought up in a tradition that says those things passed away with the apostles, you don't believe that for today, that's an obstacle. Staying in your comfort zone is an obstacle. There is no comfort zone with the Holy Spirit. He guides, he leads, he fills, he empowers. A hardened heart you can't receive the Holy Spirit if you're offended by him or resistant to him. Doubt and unbelief is an obstacle. Fear is an obstacle. Fear will steal every single promise of God from you. Sin is an obstacle. Unforgiveness is an obstacle. Pride is an obstacle. And so we have to find a way to remove the obstacles to receive everything God wants from me. As a pastor, my job is to make sure you receive everything God promised for you to have. My job is to make sure you walk in everything Jesus died for you to walk in. That is my goal. He said, well, okay, how do I receive the infilling or the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, one, you have to know the Holy Spirit's already in you, that when you got saved, he's in you, but he's not flowing or overflowing or filling you. I believe the Holy Spirit flows or fills you from the inside out. What's that mean? I don't, I don't believe he pours into you from the outside. I believe it's like a, a well or a spring that springs begins to flow and fill you from the inside out. And I think when he does, it removes obstacles. Just like with this glass, you can say, how do you get the air out of the glass? 
right? I could put a vacuum on it. I could, I could do something with it. I take the vacuum off. Guess what's still there? The air. So how do you get the air out of the glass? You fill it up with water. And you fill it up with water, all the air is gone. Some things, we're so full of everything else, and we keep trying to empty ourselves. We just fill ourselves back up with junk. We try to empty ourselves, fill ourselves. The way to get it out is allow for the Holy Spirit to flow and push all that other junk out. So, Pastor, how do I receive? Everything in the kingdom of heaven is received the exact same way, through faith. How to receive Jesus? By faith. How to receive the infilling Holy Spirit? By faith. I stand on his word, I ask him for what he promised, and I stand here receiving. As Pastor Brown was talking about earlier, just with your hands up, I receive everything you have for me. John 7 says, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said that about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, meaning you were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus is not yet glorified. Jesus is now glorified, sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, waiting for us to ask him to allow us to be filled or baptized with this Holy Spirit. So how do you receive? One is this. You must be saved, first of all, to be filled with this Holy Spirit. The blood of Jesus is what cleanses you enough for the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. You've got to be saved. Two, he doesn't fill your mind. He's not going to fill your mind with stuff, but he is going to fill your spirit, which to me is somewhere in this range. And you have to be convinced that he wants to fill your spirit. Like I said, he's not a doctrine. He's a person. There's a desire convincing. Three, you have to ask the Father to give you everything he wants you to have. And, and here's a caveat. You have to ask God give you everything he wants you to have. But you can't say, I want everything you have except don't do this one thing. And I've seen people do that with, with, with tongues or spiritual language. God, I want everything your Holy Spirit has. I just don't want the tongue thing. And we're not even talking about tongues. We're talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You don't get to get the gifts from God the way you want the gifts to come. Four, after you've asked him, begin to worship for him for who he is and what he's done and for him giving you the blessings of his Holy Spirit. Then five, have someone who is spirit-filled lay hands on you and begin to pray. And all they're doing is they're agreeing with you. We see this five times in the book of Acts. Peter shows up or John shows up or Paul shows up. And when they show up, they said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, no, not yet. And he's, they lay hands on them and they pray for them and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. This is not a, a charismatic Pentecostal deal. This is just, this is what the Word says. I believe God's Word. I, I'm hungering for His promises and His fullness. And I'm going to ask God in prayer. To do it. And so if you would, I just want you to stand to your feet all in the room. And if I, I ask a couple people, if, if I ask you to come pray at the end of the service, would you just go ahead and come on up? Here's what we're going to do. If you said, I need, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need the fullness of God's presence. Maybe you need strength. Maybe you need endurance. Maybe you need power to move something. Maybe you need more spiritual energy, but maybe you just feel like you've been pushing your life around the roads of faith and you become weary and tired. And you're asking God, like, God, there's got to be more than this. Like, I'm weary, I'm, I'm weary, I'm tired. He's promised you the power of his Holy Spirit. We're going to go into worship. As we go into worship, they're down here. For All they're going to do is just simply lay their hands on you and pray for you. Your job is is to be convinced that the promise is for you, and I believe it's for everybody. God will pour the Spirit on all flesh. 
and that you ask God simply to give you what he already promised to give you. That's the easiest deal going. I'm just asking you to give me what you already said you'd give me. And they're going to agree with you or going to believe. He said, what about tongues? Tongues is not the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Faith is. And when you ask in faith, he's already promised you he'd give it to you. We're believing and trusting he's already given it to you. If, God, if there's tongues that may come some other time, we're not worried about tongues. We're worried about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much just for the work of Jesus to cleanse us, to wash us, to regenerate us, and to make us holy on the inside, to make us a temple of the presence of heaven. In this moment right now, Holy Spirit, I pray for hunger in this room. Those who've been walking in circles in their faith, those who have gone from sin to forgiveness to sin to forgiveness, I pray the pattern stops today. Father, those who are weak and tired and weary, I pray today's the day they receive energy and strength and power from heaven. Father, those who need to endure a season that they're going through or endure a moment they're going through, endure some temptation or persecution, I pray for the power of endurance to flow through them today. But above all, Father, I'm praying for the baptism of love. That your love shall be poured out in them to assure them that they're sons and daughters of the Most High God. To give them confidence in their salvation, confidence in their walk, power in their walk. Father, all for your glory in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.